Hi, and welcome back to FreightWaves Intermodal Summit. Today, where we're talking about the, the intermodal markets and the, the rail markets. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm the executive publisher here at FreightWaves. And joining me right now is Matt Parker. Now, Matt used to be a locomotive engineer and now serves as chairman of the Nevada State Legislative Board for the Brotherhood of Locomotive Freighters and Trainmen. That's a long title, and I had to, to read it off. Uh, but Matt, if you could uh, explain what exactly that means to our audience. Okay, well, I, I am still a working locomotive engineer. So, um, you know, the, the position with the union um, is in addition to that. Um, what I do is I coordinate the efforts of a board consisting of members um, from the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainment in Nevada that focuses on issues uh, regarding safety, sanitation, political education, um, for our members on the political education side, that also includes educating our elected officials as to what our issues are and why they're important to us. That's very good. So I, I guess, what is the, the state of REL, especially, say, in Nevada or on the West Coast? And, you know, how has it changed over the last few years? Well, I, I am concerned about what I see with regard to the state of REL here because I just do not see uh, a focus on service um, that I believe needs to be to be out there with this precision scheduled railroading um, they've gone to. And, and what everybody needs to understand is really, it, it has nothing to do with either precision or scheduling. It's all about doing more with less. Um, that has in, you know, produced some great financial results from the carriers, but we've seen a, a tremendous degradation in service out here. And I think that that's something that really needs to, everybody needs to be taking a hard look at, particularly our, our policymakers um, with regard to the, to the future of rail, because there's a lot of opportunity out there right now, particularly with what we see going on with the supply chain interruptions. We know there's, there's a lot of containers backed up in ports waiting to be moved. Are we really providing the service that we need to, to get that freight where it's going? And I, I just don't see the focus that needs to be there to, to make that happen. Yeah, let's talk about service levels and MPSR, Precision Scheduled Railroads, and, and talk about the environment we're in now, which, um, which kind of throws a little bit of bullwhip effect into that strategy uh, in normal times, getting OR down. Uh, but now with the, the, the freight volume set that we're seeing uh, in, in all modes, it's got to, to be a struggle to keep service levels where they should be. It is, it is. And, and a lot of the data that we're seeing from the industry does not indicate that, but a lot of the data that we're seeing from the industry also does not jive with what I'm seeing out there in the field. Um, up until recently, intermodal was the only segment of growth in the rail or the only segment of, of business in the rail industry that was experiencing any kind of real growth. And it would seem to me that with that, there, there needs to be that focus on service to encourage more of that business to, to come to rail. And of course, everybody's talking about rail being the green alternative as we look at uh, climate initiatives, addressing climate change and such, moving more of that freight to rail because it's more fuel efficient, because it generates less, less emissions and such. But in order to encourage that business to come to us and in order to keep that business, there, there needs to be a reasonable level of service. And, and I'm just concerned with, with what I see out there as an example of this. Um, we used to have a number of trains coming through Nevada from the Midwest 
to the West Coast. And, and now what we see is a lot of that has been uh, combined into one train that, that's this big giant train now. We still have segments of the railroad that are that are single track segments and and they do not have sidings of a length that can accommodate the train. So it's not uncommon at all to see this train being held in, in Utah for seven hours or more because it's got another train of the same length going the other way. And obviously, if you have a 180 or, or more mile segment of single track main line with sidings that you can't meet the two trains, somebody's got to wait on one end or the other for the other train. And, and again, how is that providing a degree of service that's going to encourage new business uh, to come onto rail and, and to keep that business on the rail. It's a really good point. Uh, and it's a really good description of of service levels and limitations to that uh, when we're talking about PSR or, or, or limited service. How about some, what, what are your pres prescriptive kind of remedies or solutions that uh, you're out talking to uh, talking to the public about? We're talking about the need for some action here. If, if the railroads are not going to change and, and get more focused on customer service, then we need some action from the government to compel that. Uh, that's, that's the way I'm looking at it. Here in Nevada this year, we just updated our state rail plan, and, and there's a lot of, of good uh, things built into that plan, in, intentions to increase uh, rail transportation both on the passenger side and the freight side um, here, move more freight off of the highways onto rail and such. But again, to do that, we're, we're going to need to have railroads that provide you know, service for the customers and encourage them um, to, to come to rail. And um, in, in some conversations that I've had with some rail serve customers in Nevada, with conversations that I've had with the consultants that work on this plan who have gone out and talked to those people in the field, um, they, they're not reporting uh, satisfaction with the service they're getting. So how do we reach those goals that, that we're all looking for? Again, if we can't promise these people that they're going to get the, the service that they need. And, you know, uh, this is going to require the railroads to, to change the um, perspective they have on how they're doing things right now. And again, turn the focus back more on service not so much on the financial side and the results they're seeing there, but ensuring that these customers are happy that they're getting their cars on time, they're getting the service they need so that we can build the business and, and achieve these uh, things that a lot of us are trying to achieve in terms of, of moving more freight by rail. What do you think that the future holds for, for rail companies that don't improve their service levels, who, who don't shift back into service, service levels from financials? I mean, is there, uh, is there competition from truckload? Is there, are there other competitors out there, other ways to, to, to move freight that might uh, really harm in long term the, the, the operations of rail companies? Well, that's the, that's the primary competition for rail is, is the truckload freight. And we've we've seen circumstances. I'm I'm aware of one here in Nevada where, and and it wasn't just here in Nevada. This company was was also a rail customer in other areas of the country, and they pulled all their rail business off and went to trucks. And uh, one of my members here, who who worked a job servicing that that customer as well as other customers around them, um, told me that he had a conversation with somebody out at out at the facility that they delivered these cars to. And uh, 
the person indicated that it was costing them more to ship that freight by truck, but it was getting there on time with less damage. So when we don't have the focus on service like that, it's just not sustainable. Um, we've seen a business that's come off the rails and gone back to highway because of service issues. And, and if we don't have that focus on service, we're going to see more of that. Um, you know, it, it's just, if you look at it, we're actually moving less freight by rail today than we were 10 or 15 years ago. And here we are in a situation where there, there's freight everywhere waiting to be moved. If, if you're in a situation where you've got that freight there waiting to be moved and, and your uh, volumes of freight, your gross revenues are going down, I, I think that's an indication that there's something wrong with the way you're doing things. Do you, do you see any indication that uh, service levels will become a, a primary importance or, or a, a swing, right? That, that pendulum swing back into to service levels anytime soon? Or is it really all about OR, financials, PSR still? Uh, I'm, I'm not seeing it. And, and that's really what I'm concerned about. I, I just don't see that focus on service. And, and really, we, again, we hear a lot from the industry that they, they, pull these statistics out and, and they and they say that they're they're doing a good job and stuff but when you go out and talk to the people in the field you get an entirely different story and again from what we see in the in the delays in, in late trains and stuff that's not moving and stuff it just doesn't jive with a lot of of what's coming from the industry and regulation of course is a slippery slope but if we want to get to where a lot of people are talking about going again, let's move more freight by rail. It's, it's, you know, the, uh, the, the choice in terms of being more conservative of fuel, it's the, it's the choice of, of less emissions and stuff, but you're not going to get the businesses to, to go to rail and stay with rail again. If the service levels can't compete with trucks, you know, certainly it's, it's more cost effective than trucks, but I believe it was, it was in freight waves here within the last couple of weeks that I read an article about how uh, the cost savings of shipping by rail are no longer justified because of the degraded service. That's a problem and it needs to be addressed. And I think the, the railroads are well aware of it. There's been hearings before the Surface Transportation Board. There's been hearings before Congress where these shippers have showed up and they've had nothing good to say about it. That should be a warning sign that, that you need to change the way you're doing, but but they're not. And and this is where we're going to have to look at, you know, we need the Surface Transportation Board or Congress to take some action to compel them if they're not going to do it on their own for the, for the good of the public and in order to achieve these things that so many of us are after. And, and Matt, on your your, your latest article on, on FreightWaves 2, you talked about, uh, you know, you talked about safety. You talk about recently, you just mentioned it too, is uh, maritime regulatory uh, about price gouging, collusion, whatever uh, that, they, that, they're, that they're saying on, on the pricing of containers right now. And then on the trucking side, you have FMCSA talking about safety and, and regulations uh, on that. But you ask, what about RHEL? So in, in the pipeline of regulatory, it doesn't look like there's too much talk about RHEL. What um, what would you propose? You, you talk to, to state legislatures, probably federal legislatures uh, or legislators quite often. Um, what, what do you think would be good regulatory solutions or things that should at least be talked about? One of the things we need to look at is, is part of the reason why why we're seeing this situation that we're in with the class one carriers with the shares and scheduled railroading and everything is there is no real competition in the rail industry 
they like to talk about through these mergers and acquisitions that other companies have had trackage rights granted to them and such and everything, but largely those, those really aren't used. They don't provide the competition. And, and this is where the, the railroads are able to, they're, they're in a situation where they can, because of their monopoly power, and they are dictating the terms of service to customers. Now, now how many industries do you know of where a business could stay in business um, doing that, you know, for most businesses, you, you, you have competition, you have to satisfy this cu the customers, but because of the monopoly position the railroads have, they don't. So the number one thing is going to be if, if they're not willing to act, at least act like they have competition and need to be um, ensuring that their customers are satisfied, then the regulation is going to have to focus on creating that competition. One thing we've seen in that realm, of course, is reciprocal switching, which the industry always stands up and 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 speaks out against. But you know, absent of of some voluntary action on their part to to really act competitive, we're going to need things like that to introduce the competition in there, and again drive the focus back towards serving the customers, moving that freight, getting it to them on time. And, and actually being competitive if we want that business to come off of, of the highways and go on to rails. Really quickly, uh, what do you think about M&A, right? Mergers, uh, mergers and, and acquisitions in the space between uh, railroad companies. Do you think that's a, a good thing for, for rail's future or is it problematic? What we've seen over, over the last 30 years or so is that it has not produced favorable results for the shippers, the customers, or the public that, that's depending on that freight getting moved, you know, manufacturers that, that need those materials again, because it's increased their monopoly power to where we where we see this. You know, back in, in May of, of 2019, the Surface Transportation Board held a hearing that they expanded from one day to two on, on ex parte uh, 754. And that hearing was two days of just making the railroads look terrible in, in terms of serving their customers. There, there, was, there were customers that testified before the board about the degraded service, the additional fees the, the uh, railroads are, are saddling them with now because they say they want to turn those, those car resources uh, faster and, and use them more efficiently, which, by the way, is kind of interesting because, you know, a lot of times now what we're seeing is those resources are going out and they're sitting on the road for extended periods because of these long delays that are being uh, created by the way they're doing things. But again, these shippers testified about some of these things that the, the industries are, are, are doing to them, uh, the demands they're, they've imposed on them. And, and if you don't comply with this, you're going to pay this fee and all this kind of stuff. And really, I think from any reasonable person's standpoint, that this was what the railroads are asking in a lot of these cases was, was highly um, unreasonable. And, and there was at least one point I can remember in that hearing where, where a board member looked at the, the rail people that were there and said, you know, do you think this was reasonable? And they all kind of looked at each other and went, yeah. And, and the, you could just tell by the looks on their faces that the board members were kind of appalled by that answer. And, and this, again, points to the need of if, if they're not going to change on their own. It's, it's pretty clear that change is needed here. If they're not going to do it on their own, that's where we're going to have to look at, at that regulation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's wrap it up uh, right here and talk about safety and, and talk about what you're working on specifically 
Uh, on safety, you're, you're an engineer. Uh, safety is dear to your heart. I'd like to see um, where you'd like to see improvements in safety when it comes to rail. We've uh, the industry has has argued for changes in regulations and relaxing the regulations. They say that that with technology now, they're they're able to do a lot more and safer. That we we can roll back some of these regulations and such. Um, but what one of the best examples I think I can give to you where where everybody needs to be concerned about safety, the public, our policymakers, everybody is we see these instances where the FRA inspectors will show up at a terminal. Um, you'll get maybe two or, or, or more of them and they'll come to a terminal and they're going to look and, and see what they see in that terminal. And you frequently hear from from the rail side of that, that they went in and they shut down that terminal is what they say a lot because they, they get in there and they start finding so many defects and so many problems that to deal with that, you know, everything else in that terminal comes to a halt. They've got to move these cars to a repair track, get them repaired and all that kind of stuff and everything. Um, they're not being vindictive when they do that. They're, they're showing up and they're finding these real problems. Now, keep in mind that the Federal Railroad Administration is only funded sufficiently to conduct uh, inspections like that of approximately 1% of, of the rail, total rail operations in this country. So if they show up one day at a terminal and they find so many problems there that it literally shuts down that terminal, and that's only 1%, how much is running around out there right now that, that's deficient? that's not being discovered until perhaps, you know, maybe somebody eventually discovers it, or maybe we have an accident and, and it gets discovered then. Yeah. 1% is hardly anything. It's, it's barely even a random sample. Matt, thank you again for, for joining us. Uh, and you know, everyone out there stay tuned for another great session here at Freight Waves Intermodal Summit. Kevin, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.